Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Welcome, everybody. This is the program Everything Cooperative. Good morning to you. We are on location in Seattle, Washington. We are taping live for another show, and we have three people in with us this morning. We have Mr. Peter Larkins with the National Grocers Association, Christine Neal with Unified Grocers. She's retired. And Roger Collins with Harps Foods, an independent grocer. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. We're going to talk about co-op this morning, the benefits of these association and why they exist and perhaps some of the challenges. Uh, Peter, could you tell us what is the National Grocers Association? I would be happy to. We are a national trade association that represents the interests of the independent supermarkets around the country. So our members voluntarily join. They pay us dues every year. And our mission is to be the voice of the independent supermarket operators. We also have wholesalers, food wholesalers, that are members of our association and suppliers. But we're primarily there for the independent retailer. We perform services in terms of government relations, lobbying, legal, communications, industry relations. And then we also organize a large trade show every year that attracts about 3,500 attendees. So we're what I call a full-service trade association, and we are there solely to protect the interests of independent supermarkets around the country. Fantastic. How long have you been doing that? I have been the CEO for the last eight years. The association has been around since 1982. It was formed as a merger of two other industry associations. And Christine, what's Unified Grocers? Well, good morning, everybody. Unified Grocers is a cooperative. It is owned by or was owned by the independent grocers in California, Oregon, Washington. We had some members in, uh, in Alaska, in Arizona. And we essentially provided their, uh, the products that go into the grocery store as well as services, technology, for example. We were formed, and I don't have the exact year, it was around 1920, 1925, in Los Angeles. And it was, the the legend has it, it was eight merchants that came together to buy a carload of soap. And they determined that if they got together and bought that soap together, they could get a better price than they could if they each procured it on their own. Higher volume, better price. Exactly. And that concept holds today. The business has gotten a whole lot more complex, but the basic concept is the same, that they can do better together, keep their businesses separate, but buy together and get the buying power. Okay, and now we have Roger at Hops Food. What is Hops Food and how did it get started? Thank you very much for having me. Uh, it started in 1930 as a family-owned business. Uh, ran as a family-owned business till 2001 when we became an employee-owned company. 
100% owned ESOP. We have 89 stores that are located in Oklahoma, Arkansas, Missouri, and Kansas. Uh, we have over 4,000 employees, so we've been in business nearly 90 years now. You've been in business 90 years. And what were those areas you're in? Oklahoma, Arkansas, Missouri, and Kansas. So you guys don't compete against each other? You're in the West, and you're Midwest, West, Midwest, and you're national? You're all over? Yes, and for example, I mentioned we have members, and uh, independent supermarkets actually make a decision whether or not to join the association. Harps is a member. <coughs> Unified Grocers was a member uh, before they were bought out. So you don't compete? We do not. Mm -hmm. But we all do different things. Yeah. For example, Roger's company, Harps, buys from a co-op, um, Associated Wholesale Grocers in Kansas City, that's very similar to what Unified Grocers was. Got it. In essence, we all work together for the benefit of independent grocers and their customers. All right. You all work together to get people better products, buying at a volume at lower prices. That is absolutely correct. Products and services. Products and services. I like, you talked about the technology. Is that how you, how they run the business, how the independent grocers actually run the business? Yeah. Think about the grocery store and think about when you go in there and you check out. You know, you're paying for your groceries in the scanners. And it's looking up a price. There's a whole system behind that. And if, if an independent grocer has one grocery store, and at Unified, 65% of our members had only one grocery store, to have that expertise in-house gets to be very expensive. But if you can leverage that with your wholesaler and they can provide that technology to you at a service, that helps keep these independents competitive and alive in our marketplaces. So Unified was a co-op. Harps is an ESOP, an employee stock owner. That's plant. correct. Okay. And National is a trade association. You got it. So we got all three different kinds of ownership, if you will, different structures, but doing the same thing. That's right. Okay. So what we talked a little bit about the benefits, the benefits of buying in volume, getting a better price, and the benefits of getting that technology where people are coming together and and, and knowing how to actually run the business. What other benefits are for your customers to join these associations? I think if you take it in total, if you look at what NGA does, if you look at what a cooperative wholesaler does, and if you look at what an independent supermarket operator does, we are really providing a very important service for consumers around the country. Wait a minute, I'm sorry. Your, your members are independent grocers of some type. That's right. But as a trade association, you're helping the consumer. You're going all the way through the grocer to how you benefit the consumer. The entire, I'm listening. I'm listening. I'm ready. Yeah. The entire relationships between these organizations are ultimately there to benefit the end consumer. And as Christine mentioned earlier, without the services of the cooperative wholesalers, uh, many independent supermarkets would not be able to exist. They don't have the size and the scale to exist. NGA plays a role in helping to make sure that uh, the legislative, regulatory, and educational systems are there to support the independent grocers. Now, for the consumer aspect, 
if we didn't have a system in this country that would support the independent locally owned supermarkets, then it would be dominated solely by the large chains. For example, in Roger's backyard, um, he has one of the world's largest, the Walmart company. But there are other national chains that, again, without the ability for independence to thrive, they would be the only option for a consumer. We think it's important to preserve the independent supermarkets, locally owned, community-based supermarkets around the country. And that's really what we all do. So that the consumer has a choice. Exactly. Go to the independent grocer or go to Walmart, if there's a Walmart, or a Kroger's or Safeway or... That's right. It used to be Piggly Wiggly in Bluefield, West Virginia, but I don't know if they're still around. They still have Piggly Wiggly. They do? Okay. I wonder where they got that name from. Anyway, (laughs) thank thank you, Roger. Christine, do you have co-op, food cooperative businesses, food co-ops as members of these? Yes. Um, Not a lot, but the food co-ops would buy from us. They also bought from another uh, another co-op, National Co-op Grocers, which was similar to Unified Grocers, and they're still there, and, but they carried a much more extensive line of the natural organic products. We carried some of that, but not like the, the National Co-op Grocers. So there's co-ops in the food industry all over the place. We bought from cooperatives. We bought from the dairy co-op. We bought our milk. We actually had a dairy. We bought our raw milk there and would process it in our dairy plant in Southern California. We bought our private label from a national co-op where where they had a number of members. And again, it was all about leveraging that buying power to be competitive. And I'm sure there was more co-ops that we, we bought from, but those are two that come to mind. What about you, Roger, and Hobbs? Do you all buy from cooperatives? We, we do and not sell to food cooperatives? We, we don't sell to food cooperatives. We just sell to the public. But Walmart is our home office. Our home office is uh, 20 minutes from where we live. And so uh, their strategy is to be the lowest cost provider of groceries. So uh, we have to have low cost product or we cannot compete with them. If we, were, if we were buying from a company that wasn't a co-op, they would have a profit margin on top of the cost of groceries. And that profit margin would make us not competitive in the marketplace. And so with a co-op, any profits the co-op makes get, gets returned to the members. And so uh, the fact that we've been able to buy a co-op has been uh, very instrumental in the success of our company. I mentioned earlier that we are an ESOP company. And we uh, became 100% employee-owned in 2001. Our stock price then was $27 a share. And uh, at the end of this year, I think it will go over 400 Wait, so, wait a minute, wait a minute, 27 to 400 Correct. Okay. And so I think, I think one of the okay. reasons we've been able to be successful is because there's a cooperative that sells us groceries at a price that we can compete against Walmart. You know, we've got to take our first break here, and that's a great place to stop it. If I was an employee of Harps and I bought my stock for twenty-seven bucks, and now I can, it's worth four hundred dollars. You didn't? They didn't buy it; they were they, given the stock. Oh, that's, that's even better. That's even better. Okay, <laughs> that's much better. All right, we'll take our first break. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial.
Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOS, and 95.9 FM. Welcome back, everybody. This is Alan Oaks. The program is Everything Cooperative, which is sponsored. Our sponsor is the National Cooperative Bank. And we're out in Seattle. We we're doing a live show with three of the board members of NCB. We're talking about grocers and the benefits. We talked about the benefits earlier. Now I want to talk about the challenges. So who would like to start off, uh, Peter, Christine, Roger, about the challenges in your business? I'm, I'm happy to, Thank you, to start with that. There, like in any business, there's a number of challenges. But one thing I think was unique for co-ops, at least in our co-op, was access to capital, equity capital. So we were a capital-intensive business. We had big warehouses. Uh, we had warehouses in Seattle, uh, Stockton, Portland, Los Angeles. Um, they were full of inventory, so we had to buy the buildings, the equipment to run them, the inventory, the trucks to get the groceries to the, to the grocery stores. And we were owned by our, the retailers, so they provided our equity capital. And we, were, we had enough, but it was a continual challenge to grow. To get more equity capital and not just take on more debt meant that the grocers had to make those equity contributions. And money that they were investing in their cooperative was money they could not invest in their – they only had so much money, so it either went into their retail business or the co-op business. And I think that is a challenge for other cooperatives as well. Yeah, I've heard on the program before, access to capital is a critical piece for a cooperative, no mm-hmm. matter if it's a housing co-op, a grocery, or any any particular co-op, access to capital. And that's one of the things that NCB helps out with a lot. Um, and now we're beginning to see more credit unions help yeah. out and pooling monies together. And I'm reading a book now on local investing, how to get more and more people. NCB was certainly a a provider of capital to our company and to our members and really was instrumental in a number of members in in helping them get from that first store to two stores, which is a big step for an independent to go from one to two stores. But that's all debt capital, and uh, it's that equity capital piece, that, that first layer of the capital stack. That, that is challenging for co-ops. Okay. Uh, Peter or Roger, did you all find that same issue with capital? I, th- I think that is a problem. I think another problem is is that every member is different. Christine talked about uh, having a number of one-store one operators, and Harps has 89 stores. So the needs of a guy who has one store versus the needs of a company that ha- has 89 stores are totally different. For example, they may need help with uh, – Operations, they may need help in running their company, and Harps just wants to get the lowest cost of product. So you have you have different different size members that have different needs. So what was your challenge with eighty nine stores employees? I think our biggest challenge we had was just trying to compete against Walmart. As I said earlier, their their home office was close to ours. Uh, they didn't sell any groceries until the early nineteen nineties, and now they're the largest grocery retailer in the United States. So uh, they have they have a strong reputation for low low prices, so that's a tough that's tough to compete with that. Okay, they've got low prices. What about quality? How how do how do they compete on that, or how do you guys compete on quality of goods or uh, organic? 
Well, that's the sale we can't let them make that they have good quality, as good a quality as we do. So we try to advertise our quality and uh, our service and our freshness. And so that's a really important thing for us in competing against Walmart. And we try to be competitive on price, but we also uh, try to sell to people the things that we really, really have that they don't. Roger, thanks. Peter, anything? What's the, what are your challenges? Yeah, there are a few things, and this is in general about the, uh, the industry. Um, let me start with the cooperative wholesalers because there's been quite a bit of change over the last several years. You know, you heard about Unified as a being cooperative being bought out. All right. There are pressures all over the country for that same thing to happen. There have been three or four cooperatives that have been bought by the large for-profit wholesalers, um, and part of that is just because of size and scope. If you think back to the history of Unified and what Christine talked about is eight grocers getting together to buy a, a truckload of soap. Well, it was a carload, by the way. Wouldn't yeah. that be? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you, you take that and then you, you over the next, you know, the last century, you know, the whole cooperative wholesalers have gotten bigger and they're doing much more sophisticated things. But they're competing with giants in this industry. So the pressure for continued pressure to get bigger, to have lower prices, to be more efficient, is putting a lot of pressure on the cooperatives and, and in turn, the independent supermarkets. They're having to compete in a very, very competitive atmosphere that is putting pressure on them. So the question is, is how do we keep the independents alive? That's part of what mm -hmm. NGA does. We mm -hmm. try to provide services that, that will make them uh, you know, continue to be viable. But you can't um, neglect the fact that it's getting harder every single day. There is another thing, though, that's happening in the marketplace that puts independents, both the cooperative wholesalers and the individual retailers, at a disadvantage is some of our supplier companies, um, the large consumer product good companies, have now uh, gone with what they call a channels of trade uh, approach to the marketplace. So the cooperative wholesalers and the retailers may not be able to buy the same kind of packages and products that are being sold to Walmart or to Costco or to dollar stores. They have said, we have certain products that are available to you because you're in the independent channel, um, and then we have a different set of products that are available to the club stores or the warehouse stores or the dollar stores or even drug stores. And that is causing some problems in the industry because who's to say that Roger, should he want to, uh, should be able to have access to those so he compete on a level playing field. So uh, that's one of the issues that we work on at a national level. Um, but if you really think about it, the size and scope, you know, you've got Amazon, who's now a major player in the grocery business. They bought out Whole Foods, right? Uh, they did, and they did that so they would have some brick-and-mortar stores around the country for a variety of different reasons. But I guess the overall message that I'm trying to get across um, is that we're in a very uh, challenged, disruptive industry and frankly, it's not getting easier, it's getting harder. So we, we have to work harder to preserve um, our ability to have those local stores. So we're trying to get food to an individual household, the best quality food at the 
best possible price. And that's where I say it drives all the way down to that consumer, everything that you're talking about doing. Exactly. You get a Walmart to come in. Uh, you get to buy online now, uh, maybe free shipping and so forth. And at Whole Foods, you can call it in and it will be already packaged to you or they'll deliver it to you. So you got all of these new services coming out. Okay, I never thought I'd want anybody to pick my banana for me. But anyway, it's a whole other story. Uh, how do you... How do you see the future is going to be for uh, National Grocers Association in this very competitive world that we're in right now? I think that the independent grocer has been challenged for decades. Um, they are very resilient. They are able to uh, turn on a dime. They're flexible as long as they listen to their customers, figure out what their customer wants, uh, then they have proven time and time again that they have an ability to respond and give them what they want. I think Harps is a perfect example of that. They're competing with one of the world's largest companies, yet in their backyard they have found a way to be relevant. they found a way to be different. So consumers, you know, make a choice. They want to go to Harps. There are a lot of companies out there, independent grocers, that probably – well, may not be around in the next five or ten years, but that allows a company like Harps or other independents to grow. They may buy those stores um, and respond and keep those stores in a community. So we may have fewer independents, but I think they'll be stronger. Roger, how does that work for you in the future? How do you see the future? I think it's getting harder, just like Peter said. I think uh, the primary reason for that is going to be the Internet sales through Amazon, uh, Walmart has a click-and-pick-up uh, service. So imagine a grocer having a very low margin, and then you have to go pick the groceries, you have to check it out, you have to store it, you have to take it out to someone's car. Very expensive process. And you can start doing that to compete, but uh, you, you don't make much money on those kinds of sales. So I think uh, the future is going to be very difficult. I agree with Peter that there will be some consolidations. But uh, I, I agree with him, too, that we, people are resilient. They'll fight back, and they'll find a way to be successful. So you mentioned promotions, but before I go back to you on that, Roger, Christine, I, I was thinking that since Certified is brought out that you won't have the future conversation. What do you say about the future? Well, it's interesting to look at why we sold the company, and it was sold about a year, a little over a year ago. And there were a number of reasons, but one of the reasons that was at the top in our marketplace, what we saw is the independents were not growing. In fact, what was happening is, you know, there, there's a natural business cycle here. And the independent grocer would either sell their business or they would pass it to their children and it would, it would replenish itself. But what was going on is, in this, as a trend is the independent grocers were selling to private equity. Private? Private equity ownership. Okay. And that yet has yet to play out how that's going to happen, what's going to happen with that, whether they're going to stay in it. But typically private equity has about a five-year horizon, and then they flip it, and they want to get their money out of it. And that's a whole new phenomena in the independent grocer community in our marketplaces. I don't know about the rest of the country. Thank you, guys. You know, we're going to take our next break, and we'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. We'll be right back.
Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, W.O.M. at 95.9 FM. Welcome back, everybody. This program is Everything Cooperative, and I'm Vernon Oaks, and we're glad that you're here. So we're talking about credit unions and the benefits of credit unions. And this program is sponsored by the National Cooperative Bank, whose mission is to support and be an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members especially in low-income communities, by providing innovative financial and related services. NCB does a great job of providing those innovative uh, financial and related services, and they're different from most banks because most banks don't want to go into low-income communities because, again, what banks want is people that have already had collateral, and you don't find that in low-income communities. So this is why Congress set up NCB in the early 80s. So we will welcome back Mr. Patrick uh, Jury, who was the CEO of Iowa uh, Federal Credit Union, and Marie Smith, who's down in North Carolina at the local government federal credit unions. Welcome back, gentlemen. Thank you. Right, thanks, sir. So now we talked about the benefits of co- uh, credit unions and how they work, and we also talked a little bit about a lot of people don't know that credit unions are cooperatives. And, Maurice, you had said that you're – role is to make sure that your members know first that it's a co-op and second about the benefits of it. But what has been some of the challenges of running a credit union? It's got so many benefits, it seems like everybody would want to be a member. What's some of the challenges? Well, you know, one of the challenges of a credit union is difficult to explain the benefits in an elevator speech. And so, so many consumers many individuals want to hear a tweet or they want to they want to get a message that comes across in very short sound bites and so how do you in a concise way explain the vast benefits of a co-op to a consumer so that they automatically get it so give me enough time and I can sell you on the co-op ideals but I have to do so when you're willing to listen to the message and so one of the challenges we have is making consumers aware of who we are as institutions, the benefits of a credit union co-op, and why consumers should, you know, very seriously consider the proposition that we have to offer to them. And so as we advertise and promote our services to our field of membership, there's a balance. And we'd rather talk about the philosophical side of the credit union first. Because if I, can, if I can capture your heart, then it's easier to capture your head later to have you think about rates and fees and terms and things along that line. So we're ever, you know, forever trying to find the right balance on how to get the message across that we are a different kind of institution, why it's important that consumers, you know, understand who we are, consider what we do, and try to make that relevant as individuals try to make decisions about what financial products to use for themselves. Okay, so, Maurice, I got that in North Carolina, and I get that's the way people are down there. <laughs> Pat, is that the same way out now? Yeah, I think there's many, oh. there's many similarities. So it's um, not geographical. <laughs> there's a lot of similarities of credit unions within the states, within the world, actually, mm-hmm. all over the world. But I think... Uh, there's some there's some impediments. First of all, I'm bullish on credit unions. We're growing. We have growing assets. We have growing membership. Uh, we're making loans. We're safe and sound. So credit unions definitely have a bright future. But there are challenges. Uh, I think there are uh, some people in the United States, and I think every 
person should be able to join a cooperative as an alternative to a for-profit financial institution. But I think there are some people that just don't know that they can join a credit union. It could be in the state of Iowa that there's a, a firefighter that doesn't realize that he can join a local government credit union. He may not understand that. Um, I think there's a confusion that people don't know whether they can access their money anywhere across the United States. You know, they want everything to be quick and, and, and safe and, and, and local. And so uh, spreading the word that credit union members really through our shared um, ATM network can access their funds anywhere across the United States. Wait a minute. I didn't know that. Yeah, we have over... We have credit unions that participate in what's called a shared branching network. So this is the sixth principle cooperation among credit unions? It is. Right, exactly. It's one aspect of it, correct. Yes. Okay. And uh, I can go into a credit union, and most all credit unions, I can go into a credit union in North Carolina, and I can walk in their office, and they can help me withdraw money from my credit union. In Iowa. In Iowa, exactly. So this branch network is interesting. The ATM network is interesting. So another shared collaborative function of a cooperative-owned financial system. So I, be- I belong to the NIH Federal Credit Union, mm-hmm. where I taught at George Washington University. I, that was part of the employees, the field of mm-hmm. field of membership. Membership. Yes. Okay, that's a new term. <laughs> so GW. Uh, employees could join the NIH Federal Credit Union, mm-hmm. so I joined that. But I didn't know that I could be here in Seattle and go get money. And I know it's free if I go to the ATMs, yeah. the NIH ATMs. Yeah. Is it free to, if I go? Well, it's a, it's if they're involved in the shared branching net, um, network, it it would be um, a part of a product or service that you could engage in. Is that correct? Yeah. All right. And uh, – I learned something personal. I like that. Good. And not everybody necessarily knows what co-ops. I think that's an impediment uh, to our future. And then we talked a little bit earlier about regulations. Credit unions uh, obviously need to, financial institutions need to operate in a regulated environment so there's public confidence in the financial institutions. Uh, but in 2008, when there was some bad characters in the financial services marketplace, you said so nicely. <laughs> the government came in and placed some really tough regulations on financial institutions. The trouble is, they not only placed them on the largest financial institutions, the credit unions also that weren't a cause of the problem also had those regulations placed on them, and they have to comply at the same level the very large banks do. Oh, well, come on, come on. So here's what I'm hearing you say. Tell me if it's right. First off, there was some bad characters. There were some crooks. They made some product that was bad for the customers. Yeah. So you buy this house for 3% interest in the next two, three years, it's going to be 7, 8, 9, 10% interest. And yep. people couldn't afford it. They lost their house. And then it tripled down to all kinds of different places and we had this great recession. Great recession. All right. So those were some bad characters and government. they basically got away with it. Yeah. Because they didn't go to jail didn't go for, to jail. for creating these products and so now the government comes in and want to put stipulations on it and on I, them and on us yeah but did you have anybody did you all create those kind of products we didn't we didn't uh create the uh the great recession we were you know we've always served our members we think we've done a great job in serving our members now we have to comply with those regulations we don't have the same size or critical mass and it's really creating the requirement for credit unions, small credit unions, to merge into other credit unions. So by banks acting bad, they're somehow reducing competitive credit unions in the marketplace. It's like if it was a 
if it was a, a strategy, it would have been a great strategy for okay. banks to do this. It wasn't a strategy, obviously, um, but it okay, is not. So I'm getting that if I was in school and there was a bully that went and hit somebody, yeah. when the principal, they made he made the whole classroom suffer because the bully hit. That's a, a good example. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so exactly. credit unions, I would sense that credit unions would not create this kind of product because that product is bad for the customers, and the customers own the credit union or the members, and the members wouldn't let you create those kind of products. Right. So you don't create them. Right. And I didn't hear of any credit union going under during the Great Recession because they didn't have these kind of products. But because of the policies that the government put in place, now you have to merge and become mm -hmm. bigger because um, the, to order to – do this so compliance. Compliance with regulations. You need to hire more people yeah. to do them. You, you need to hire more people. Um, that's not always possible in a real small credit union. And credit unions did suffer during the recession. Um, you know, the, when the housing market went down, people filed bankruptcy. Unemployment uh, uh, was extremely high. Credit unions did suffer along with the economy, uh, yet they weren't the cause of the reason for the suffering. Okay. Yeah. Got it, got it, got it. Okay, that's a challenge. You got a challenge of people not knowing about credit unions yeah. and well, not knowing that they can come and join one and get the benefits of credit unions, mm -hmm. good products. And mm -hmm. that's why I first joined a credit union. And it was to buy a car. Mm -hmm. Okay, the rates were so much lower for somebody who had no assets, mm -hmm. okay, like I did, and a few years on the job. I wouldn't have thought that they looked at my character. Maybe they did. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I was a school teacher, so maybe that made yes. some difference. Mm -hmm. um, and so I got the car loan at a lower rate than I would have if I had mm -hmm. gone to a bank. And that's what drew me into the credit union thing. Um, and made you want to go back. Well, I stayed. Yeah, exactly. For, but I did not know. I know that they would send me this thing that said, do you want to elect this person? Uh -huh. But I didn't have a sense that I was an owner. Mm -hmm. And I had a say-so on who got to be the board and what the board did. I didn't know any of that. Okay. Well, that's instructive for credit unions because that's a really important thing for you to understand, for a credit union to help you understand. Yes. Well, th and this, was, this would have been 40 years ago or so. And, you know, when I started knowing about co-ops, then I got this whole sense after sure. managing housing co-ops. Okay. Is it the same thing in North Carolina with this sort of uh, regulations and the, the, I don't know, the draw of how much it costs you to do the regulations? Uh, absolutely. Regulations is a, it's a burden on credit unions as well as it is for banks. But in our case here, it, it, this really echoes the reason why advocacy is so important for credit unions. Because we want our public policy makers to understand the difference in our institutions. That a one-size-fits-all regulation for an industry is just not coherent. And it doesn't work. So it's important for regulators, for legislative bodies, to understand the differences between the different kinds of financial institutions and industries and to be able to go in and craft rules that are specific to the characteristics and the risk of those institutions. Okay. So I got you said not coherent. And I think that you're – you're very politically straight. I think it's wrong and crazy, but okay. <laughs> I'm crazy. We're going to take our next break. We'll be right back. This is our final break. The hour goes by very quickly, but we'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM WOS and 95.9 FM.
Welcome back again, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative, where we're talking about the benefits of credit unions and some of the challenges of credit unions with Packard Jury from the Iowa Credit Union and Marie Smith from the North Carolina Local Federal Local Government Federal Credit Union. So we have two parts in the in our United States that's very, very different geographically, but have some of the same benefits and challenges of being in a credit union. So we were talking about the challenges of of this credit union. And Maurice was talking about advocacy. Advocacy being working with government institutions, government politicians, so that you can get the kinds of policies in place. Uh, so Maurice, what are you guys doing in this advocacy to get these, get these policies, these laws changed so that you don't have the same regulations as the banks that caused the problems in the recession? That's a really good question. And so for me personally, I serve two roles in the industry on an advocacy part. So I serve on the board for the Credit Union National Association for CUNA. And advocacy is what our members tell us is job number one. So that's the highest priority to make sure the credit union message is heard among consumers, but also among regulators, legislative bodies, federal and state government. So I participate in that activity, you know, in a very intimate way. The second thing is my credit union serves city and county employees in North Carolina. And we've often noticed that when you make it to Congress or you make it to your state house, your first job in politics and public service probably began as a town councilman, maybe a local sheriff, maybe a mayor, a county commissioner. Local. Mm -hmm. That's right. So the individuals we are serving today are future state and national leaders. Hmm. I need to have conversations with them. If you are the local city attorney about what a credit union is, because you might be attorney general one day. I need to have a conversation with a mayor because you might be our next congressman. And if I can get you to understand who we are, what we do, how we matter to the consumers, when you eventually make it in a place that you're going to be making bigger policy decisions, you will remember from your early days in public policies in service what a credit union is, what co-ops are, and how you can hopefully take that knowledge to these other offices and continue to serve the, um, the co-op business. And Pat, what, you, what are you guys doing? Well, I'm uh, more of a come from a trade association than an individual credit union. Uh, I think the power of the credit union community, state and nationally, is we have a credit union national association that has a wonderful federal uh, lobbying uh, resource, and then we have 37 or 40 states approximately that have their own individual trade associations and a lobbying force. And when you put those two together, it's really unparalleled in the strength of influencing public policy. So this collective nature of how we conduct business with one another as a credit union movement is a very powerful resource. Um, and we do it primarily through lobbying, professional lobbyists in each state and in Washington, D.C., grassroots lobbying from our members willing to communicate with their elected officials about the ideas that they consider most important. We also raise political action committee money to uh, have contributions come in to support the campaigns of candidates who share the same ideals and philosophies of the credit union system. Okay. And then we have public affairs and uh, public advocacy work for the media that helps get the message out about credit unions. So it's a, uh, we, have a, we have things going on at the local level, the state level, and the national level to try to protect 
credit unions, all with the foundational spirit of improving the financial lives of consumers. That's what it all boils down to in the end. So that said, maybe like um, Maurice's dad might say, is that how do you use money? How, what's the, how do you get the best benefit out of money? So you have the best health care, the best housing, best education that mm -hmm. you can get for yourself and your family. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, okay, that's fundamentally, that's great. Now, <clears throat> what, do you, what can you do now to change these regulations, though? Maurice, you talked about future, talking to the, the folks today at the grassroots local level, and as they become senators and congressmen and maybe a president, then they'll know about co-op. But what can you do now to change this regulations, to take that burden off of the credit union? Mm -hmm. I think it begins by, well, it continues with telling the story of credit unions. So if I go to Washington, D.C., or to our state capital in Raleigh and talk about credit unions, you know, our public policymakers are courteous enough to listen to me, but I'm supposed to say nice things about the credit union. You know, this is, you know, it's it's my it's my occupation. But when I can bring some average citizens, average members, who are not paid, you know, lobbyists, That's your job. they're not, you know, you know, smooth and suave, and they don't have always the right words to say, but they tell a story and they tell how this credit union rescued them or it helped their community, that's a persuasive argument to make. And so part of my job is to rally our membership to tell the story and keep telling the story to, to, to their neighbors, to their elected officials, to their church members, to their family members about the benefits of co-ops and credit unions because I believe that's what changed hearts and minds. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, so it's how you get institutions also working. And it, during the, uh, the civil rights in the 60s, it was the black church to pay the big piece. And I've been trying to get Reverend Barber. So maybe you can help me in that. <laughs> He's from North Carolina. I, I've been trying to get him ever since I heard him at the National Democratic Convention yes. Yes. on the show or to get him to know yeah. about when he started talking about his poor people's campaign to know about co-ops because – for me, he has he has the right sort of view of how to help poor folk, but he doesn't have the financial piece. And to me, the financial piece is the credit union. I mean, it's co-ops, and credit unions are part of that for the financial side, and worker co-ops is another part of it, get people to start their own businesses. Yep, exactly. So maybe you can help me get Mark <laughs> on the show and get him information about So you work with the politicians. Yes. The religious groups, whatever groups that we can get to listen to about about credit unions. Anything else you want to add, uh, Patrick and Al, or what you all do to change this sort of whole dynamic? Well, government moves slowly, and it's an incremental process. Um, and I think that members communicating with Congress in the manner that Maurice described is going to be the most effective long-term way that we uh, change minds in Congress about the types of regulations credit union need credit unions need in relationship to the types of regulations the bank need. So you guys have been working at with the individual people and in particular Maurice with people coming in to make loans and then how do you manage a staff in a business of a credit union mm -hmm. and then advocacy of work with governments or other institutions to know about credit unions. Do you like what you do? That sounds like mm -hmm. a lot. Mm -hmm. Do you like it? Vern, I love what I'm doing. 
and and you know, and I don't use the word love in a flippant manner. I am doing what I'm supposed to be doing in my life. This is my life's work. And you started at 12 years old. We started at 12 years old. Yes, sir. A few years ago. A few years ago. <laughs> a lot of years ago. <laughs> yes. What makes you love it? And I think I know the answer, but I want to ask you anyway. We really do make a difference in people's lives. There is a connection between the social determinants of life and and, and one's, you know, economic well-being. I'm on this quest to try to come up with the winning narrative on how do you solve poverty. It's, it's, it's been tried before, I know. But if you think about the opioid addiction, you think about access to health care, housing, wealth building, intergenerational poverty, you think about the big challenges we have in our society, at the root and at the foundation of every one of these causes, money shows up. Access to money, how do you manage money, how do you generate wealth, how do you invest, financial literacy. These are the things that credit unions are focused on. It's not just a pedal product, not just to sell you another service. We're trying to really make a difference in your lives. And that's, that's part of my personal mission as well. And so this is what I'm supposed to be doing. It's, it's fortunate that I like what I'm doing, I love what I'm doing. But this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So you never go to work. No. <laughs> my, my wife would say it's hard to turn it off. <laughs> okay, Patrick, do you, yeah. do you have the same kind yeah, of experience? I, I, I think I've had the greatest job in the world for 30 years. Uh, I think if you look at any credit union person that's successful in the uh, movement, that uh, they have a mission basis to their uh, uh, to the uh that excites them and motivates them to come to work in the morning. It's not about work. It's about improving lives. And so what's important to me is, you know, I, I think the work that we've done collectively is we get to improve the lives of community, uh, of consumers. We get to stabilize families, and we get to help build communities. And those things I really, I really feel, I feel good about. And when you hear things like, you know, 50% of, of Americans can't come up with $400 for an emergency, you know, we have got to figure out ways in which we can help people with through thrift and help them through savings programs and help them, help them achieve more sound foundational financial footings because it can, it can be done. It's difficult work, but it can be done. So love my job. Love your job. Now, what you guys have talked about to me is the values of cooperatives. And it's mentioned that honesty, openness, social responsibility, and caring for others. And this whole sense of caring for others is what makes this work so so great. Absolutely. And doing it honestly and open, openly. I wish we can get our, our government folks to do this. Now, anybody, we only have about a minute left. What would you like to leave people with? I think what you've already said leads to a lot. Here's my final point is consumers have a fundamental choice. You can do business with an institution whose sole mission is to make profit for its owners, or you can do business with an institution whose sole mission is to help you be successful as an individual and as a community. Wow. That's your choice. To me, it's not a hard one to make. <laughs> Go credit you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'd like to get it from you too, Patrick, but we are out of time. Good. Thank you, everybody, for listening to us. We'll see you next Thursday, but please live cooperatively in the meanwhile. Thank you. Thank you.
Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM WOM and 95.9 FM.